Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> Get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another annihilistic, symbioterific episode of Fan Holes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight. And I am not alone. I am joined by two, count them, two of my fellow watching fan holes. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike and Derek. You forgot Clone-tastic. 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 This is Justin, and I am the clone. All right, yeah, so so we are back. We are doing What If yet again. We're doing a What If-themed episode. We all brought some some awesome What If comic books, and I, I think we're really, we're really on point tonight. We're really on message with What Ifs because these are all horribly depressing stories where everybody dies, and if Spider-Man's in the issue, you can damn sure bet he's going to die a horrible, ugly death in the issue. So... Nothing says what if more than Spider-Man dying a horrible, miserable death in a what if. I think he dies in two out of these three issues, doesn't he? He does. He does die in two of three issues, which is why I think we're on message, we're on point. We're, 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 we're doing the Lord's work with what if here, I suppose. Yeah, so, so we, we've got three what if issues. I know Mike brought the oldest what if issue because it comes from volume one, so... I'm going to let Mike tell us what he decided to bring to discuss tonight, and then we will discuss it. I brought What If Volume 1, number 42, from December 1983. And I was joking with you, like, I think I kind of broke the rules, because, I mean, technically these should be, like, spinner rack comics. But I got this issue originally from my older cousin in, like, a long box that he bequeathed to me a ton of like old comics and i mean it still technically could have been a, a, a spinner rack issue like he yeah. could have gotten yeah. it off a spinner rack like i said yeah. well if it if it was bequeathed to you it didn't come from a comic specialty shop so by my rules that totally counts yeah it totally counts yeah so like this this is one of my personal favorite what ifs and like i think i i generally prefer volume two but volume one has a lot of gems in it too so 
Like that, that's I, I I've been waiting for an opportunity to talk about this one. So yeah, what if Volume One, Number Forty Two, originally published in nineteen eighty three, written by Peter M. Gillis, breakdowns by Ron Friends, finishes by Joe Sinet, colors by Christy Shield, letters by Janice Chang, and the editor was Ralph Macchio. The title of this story is What If the Invisible Girl Had Died. It's based off of Fantastic Four Annual Number Six from nineteen sixty. That's like the divergent point. And yeah, I wrote up a little summary for it. In the true history, there was an imbalance in the cosmic energy in Sue Richards' bloodstream that threatened her life and that of her unborn child. Just before she's due to give birth, Reed Richards finds that Annihilus's cosmic control rod can be used to stabilize her condition. He and the rest of the Fantastic Four enter the negative zone and fight Annihilus for the control rod. In the true history, they escape his clutches and return home in the nick of time. Franklin Richards is born, and the Fantastic Four family grows by one. However, in this history, things take a turn for the worst. Annihilus manages to capture and delay Reed, Johnny, and Ben just long enough before they can return with the control rod. At the hospital, Sue shares her memories with Crystal of meeting Reed and Ben and falling in love, but soon goes into a painful labor. Reed and the others escape Annihilus and return with the rod, but Sue is unable to be saved and dies in childbirth. Franklin survives, but is never mentioned again in this story. The superhero community mourns Sue, and even Doctor Doom decides to lay off Reed in, in the time of his greatest sorrow. At Sue's eulogy, attended by all of New York's prominent heroes, Johnny, Ben, and Reed each deliver a speech about what Sue meant to them. Reed's speech causes Namor to take pause at his grieving rival's detached manner, and he soon shows up later at the Baxter building, requesting to stay with them for the time being. Reed doesn't care what Namor does, and Namor soon privately confesses to the thing that he fears for what Reed will do now that Sue is gone. Later that night, as the Thing and Johnny continue to mourn Sue in their own ways, Reed erases all the data he's accumulated over the years, and wonders if it was Sue that kept him from becoming someone amoral like Doctor Doom or inhuman like Galactus. Nothing matters to him anymore, and he decides that Annihilus is to blame for Sue's death. Namor literally breaks down Ben Grimm's door when he discovers Reed has left the Baxter building, and the three realize where he's headed. Reed enters the negative zone, loaded for bear and intent on ending Annihilus's life. Namor, Ben, and Johnny follow him in, with Namor telling Ben that he's so intent on saving Reed because it's what Sue would have wanted. In the negative zone, Reed plows straight through all of Annihilus's defenses using his devices and his intellect and confronts the creature. Annihilus is terrified to die and attempts to flee, but there's no escape from Reed's vengeance. Namor and the others catch up to Reed just as he is about to plunge Annihilus and himself into a dimensional rift between universes. Namor tries to talk Reed out of it, but he's too far gone, and when Annihilus makes a last-ditch effort to escape by biting Reed, the two rocket towards the rift. Ben tries to follow and save Reed, but only manages to get a final goodbye from his best friend before being forced to save himself. Reed and Annihilus are destroyed in the rift, and Ben and the others head back to Earth, concluding that Reed and Sue's love will still endure beyond death. So yeah, this is a, you know, typical what if, super depressing, you know, people die and things that could never happen, you know, in the in the usual universe for too long, at least. 
yeah like this this like like i said this was an early issue i got like as a kid and it really like it really affected me like i think it's a very like powerfully written issue like even if it's super depressing i think it's like peter gillis actually you know really tugs at your heartstrings with like showcasing everyone's grief and you know reads uh, like vendetta against annihilus and like even even annihilus you feel like kind of like almost pity for like he's so terrified of reed i wanted to like right off the top i just wanted to like mention that they say that franklin survived but like he's never ever touched upon in this issue beyond that first thing and i kind of feel like maybe like, I think I've almost read this somewhere that, like, maybe Peter Gillis said it at some point or someone who was, like, researching this at some point. I couldn't find it again, but I swear I've read it that, like, Ralph Macchio or Jim Shooter said something like, we don't need, like, a dead kid in this issue, too. So they, they made, like, him say, like, the script say that, like, Franklin survived, but then, like, he's never touched on or factors into events in this issue. So that's that's a little bit of an oddity. But otherwise, like, I think this is... One of my favorite what ifs, like, you know, and it's I think it's a really well written issue. Like the art's great. I don't know. When have you guys read this before? I read this once a long time ago. I think I was in middle school. There was a guy at the flea market and he had several like dollar boxes of comics. And then like off to the side, he had like the, you know, expensive, like graded comics. And in the dollar boxes, he usually had like a long, like backlog of what if issues and like i would usually go and pilfer through those and just buy like whatever comic or just buy whatever cover caught my eye and spend a you know four or five bucks on a few issues of what if and i remember my buddy i guess he had went to the same flea market he came in you know one monday and slapped this one down on the table and then we all did our thing you know we just kind of like traded we would trade comics back and forth and read you know and i sat down and read this one and i was like yeah that was pretty good just you know really really sad but I, I you know i remember liking it at the time and you know it's funny you picked this because i almost picked this for this episode like i was looking at all the covers for volume one and volume two and i was like i think i want to revisit that and then when i saw you know the other one the one i ended up picking i, I you know i was like i think i'll read that one instead but yeah this is a really good issue i like how it's so dour and depressing and you kind of feel i mean you definitely feel for what reed's going through but you also kind of worry about him and i mean you guys know me i'm a big namor fan so namor showing up like i couldn't remember exactly what all happened in this and i was like you know they kept showing close-ups of namor at the funeral and i was like dude namor like don't get up and make a scene or like try and fight someone just keep your cool and he did throughout the whole issue like no one like lost her temper with him like i was expecting reed to like slap him aside or i was expecting like the thing to like you know be like yay you know take it easy on reed yo like he's going through rough times and they get into a fight but like none of that happened everyone keeps their cool they're all super worried about reed and then they go off to try and save him and of course it's, it's even super depressing there at the end because reed finally dies but you know kind of like you said like there at the end when reed is like beating annihilus like you do kind of feel bad for Annihilus because he's basically pleading for his life. And I was like, I kind of feel bad for Annihilus a little bit. The other thing I like is this has a lot of like Kirby feels to it. Like, especially when Reed is zipping off after Annihilus in Revenge, like that harness he's wearing, like 
that has to be a, a an homage to like Orion's cosmic karma. Yeah, that, like a, that was the I first was thing say I thought a, of. A new gods like type deal. Yeah, I thought of that as well. I, and I I figured you'd like this issue because I think Namor comes off as extremely like good in this issue. Like, yeah, you know, sometimes you read a what if and someone acts totally out of character. You're like, well, I don't think Spider Man would do that or. You know, you're like, oh, man, come on. Like, Thor wouldn't get owned that easily. That's bullshit. But, like, everyone is, like, on character. You know, like, even Doom. Like, when Doom's like, you know, I will, you know, this is your greatest hour of torment. And, you know, the ba- our battle will cease for now. I'm like, that's totally Doom. Like, dude, Doom has that streak of, you know, honor inside of him where he would, you know, he would totally do that. Like I could see, Do- I could see Doom doing that in a John Byrne comic or or any Fantastic Four comic that was written competently. But yeah, like this was a great issue. I'm glad you brought this for us uh, this week. Yeah, I've I've never read this issue before tonight, so I I was pretty pleased with it. I mean, the the Ron Friends art, like you guys have been saying, like it's a very like Kirby type deal. Like like even you know, like you said, Mike, this is based on the Fantastic Four Annual Six, and even some of the, down to like some of the splash pages and the introductory part of the story. I mean, if you, if you do like a stare and compare, like it's, it's actually a recreation of the first couple pages of Fantastic Four Annual Eight before it actually, you know, diverges into this what-if type storyline. And, I was kind of struck by by a lot of things in this. I mean, obviously, it's like, like you guys have been saying, I feel like, you know, Doc Brown or whatever. You keep saying heavy, like, is there gravitational pull in the Earth's future? You know, like, like, but, but like, this story is, like, super heavy. And, I mean, you definitely are emotionally impacted when you read through it. And I think what I was most struck by is... Like, there's, like, debates about, you know, stories like Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, or, you know, maybe even fast-forwarding just to, like, a lot of really current modern comic books and the discussion on how the toys get broken and they're irrevocably broken. And I guess the trick of the what-if is, I mean, you smash these toys all the fucking hell and set them in the dumpster fire and set them on fire and, and and all kinds of stuff. But the thing is, since it's just this divergent path in the original comics and it never really went that way, you know, you, you're basically not terminating the Fantastic Four comic book, but you are, you are getting all the pathos and feels that you would get in a story like that. And, and, <sighs> I don't know. It's just it, like that, that whole thing. It's like it, you, you, you feel like you're reading something of that caliber where it's like, wow, this is, this is the end of the Fantastic Four for all intents and purposes. I mean, it, 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 it just undoes everything about the concept and the characters and it's tragic and sad. And you, you, you know, you, you are engrossed and enveloped in this story you could understand reed's need for vengeance you can understand why you know johnny and ben try to go after him and stop him and and you see the the tragedy and that they're getting zapped as as he's dragging a nihilus into the 
You know, I mean, I almost started to wonder if, if Reed was going to kill them all as they, you know, basically undo Annihilus and, and all this other kind of stuff. And I do think it's interesting you mentioned the, the notion that, you know, maybe the, in the original concept, you know, Franklin also did not survive. Because that would, that would add yet another layer to, to Reed's kind of downward spiral, right? Like, that would, that would add something else, another layer to his, the, what Namor recognizes as, as kind of, you know, something that can only lead to, to, you know, tragedy or whatever. And, like, I, the, the only thing I thought was weird, though, was, like, like, the, the other thing, and I'll ask you guys about this, but it's, like, I, I see that Namor recognizes the, the, that, that something's not quite right in Denmark with Reed during his speech, but I almost thought Namor was going to have a moment of, like, what the fuck are you talking about, Reed? Like, wh- like, like, his speech just, I don't know, there, there's something about his speech that just didn't make any sense to me, and it's like, I guess that's, that's what, you know, you are supposed to be Namor in that sequence as the reader, right? Like, you're supposed to go, yeah, Namor's right, something is off. But I think my gut reaction to it was, like, not not so much that I expected him to make a scene, or or you know that 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 it would somehow enact Justin's fears that like Namor would be a duty head at a funeral, but it was almost like you you were wondering like like it, I I was surprised that it was so much there was so much of a concern from Namor rather than an objection to, I guess, this drastic change in, in who he, you know, who Reed was, you know, like, 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 I, I thought there'd be a little more, maybe, arrogance to it, and, and, and it's, it's interesting how, like, that, I mean, that's what takes you for a curve, too, is, like, the way he joins them with absolute humility, you know, it's like, the, the, you know, it's like, you know, and, and of course, Thing kind of calls him out on it. It's like, why are you doing this? And he's like, oh, well, I'm doing it for Sue. And he's like, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, like, and that's, that's all they have to say about it. But yeah, this was, I don't know, this, this was extremely heavy. Like, that's, that, like you said, I mean, you know, you say the word depressing, right? And, and it, and it is, it absolutely is. It's like one of those things where you read this and you, it's like you, you've been punched in the gut, you know, and you're like, man, that was, that was pretty fucking rough, you know, to, 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 to read it and stuff like that. And I guess the, the saving grace to it is right. It, 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 you know, it's, it's not quote unquote real, right? Like it didn't actually happen, but it's funny. I guess that's why I wanted to reflect on like modern comics, because a lot of the times they do tell stories like this and you feel like, I mean, yeah, it's imaginary. And if this was done in modern comics, there'd be some storyline about, you know, the search for Sue, and they bring her back to life, and, you know, I don't know, they find her in Annihilus, and all this other nonsense, right, and they just keep the, the narrative going, right, but, you know, that, that's when it becomes, like, super duper convoluted, and, and it's like, and it, and it also sort of negates the impact of this story, so in, in some ways, it being isolated as a what-if retains the impact of the actual story, and also preserves the the sanctity of the ongoing narrative, but I, you know, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. For, 
I, I don't know how to quantify it other than it seems like it's so interesting that that people don't like well, either a they think they're so clever and original that they've come up with this great idea to quote unquote kill Sue Storm or whatever it is right and then you look back I mean to me it's like one of those things where it's like the you know and this is not to decry like Jane Foster as Thor or whatever it's like that Jason Aaron run I thought was a good run but it's not like what if didn't have a what if. Jane Foster was Thor like a million years ago, right? So it's it. I don't know. It's just I, I I just find it fascinating that that even even now they still go to this well of stories, but but at this point it's not it's not that there's so much concern over you know putting the toys back in the toy chest and keeping them pristine. Like it's just man, it's it's like they just kind of obliterate those toys and it's like who cares here you go buddy because you know that what ifs are like basically one shots there's like a i don't know like a sense of permanence like you said like sort of like to the story that like you don't get like in yeah like in the serialized thing so like that's always like when when someone can take advantage of that format like this did like i think that's when it's most like effective but like you know, it, it's a very thin line because then it's just like, you know, killing everyone willy nilly or whatever. And then there's like it, there's no effectiveness or there's no like you're like, OK, well, like you could go either way because you're like, oh, all right, this is just the one one shot. Like it doesn't matter. If all these people die or you can make it that it matters the most like that this person died. So like and I think it falls on that side with this issue. I think one of the things I wanted to mention, like we, we you mentioned it straight off uh, at the top of the show, like, you know, it's a what if tradition, like, like, I think even when fourth letter did his, his list of the top 100 what ifs, it's like one, one of the, under each entry, one of the like quantifiers for each issue was Spider-Man die, like, and it was a yes or a no, like in this issue. Like, I think another common factor with what ifs is like, does Reed Richards go insane? Because like, I feel like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I read like a lot of what ifs where Reed yeah. Richards just goes nuts so off his rocker like crazy. So, well, and, and that's that's kind of what I was thinking of, because because you, you, you think like like something like the ultimate version of Reed Richards going mad and becoming the maker and becoming an evil villain and becoming the most dangerous man alive you know, uh, I'm sure somebody out there pat themselves on the back and was like, oh, what a great idea I came up with. And I'm just kind of like, no, look, it's it's right here in plain English. Like everybody's saying without Sue as his anchor and with this obsessive need to, to track down, hunt and destroy a nihilist, like the way a nihilist views Reed's attack, like it's, it's like, I've never seen anything like this before. The sheer destructive power of someone with his intellect you know and it's like it's all right there on the page you know and and you just think to yourself oh this is you know you know and it's like yeah yeah i know there's no original ideas blah 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 blah. but i'm like to me i'm like this is this is it right here this is this is the maker long before there was a fucking maker that's true i feel like a lot of ideas are stolen from what ifs like it's like they're outrageous when they do them as a what if but then they do them for real like in the real universe and it's like oh my god cap's part of hydra like it's outrageous someone yeah, stand right. for it except that yeah i think they've already done that before in what if but whatever <laughs> like or, or at least something similar but but i was just thinking like as a funny point like does this mean like 
in this universe. Like now it's going to become like three men and a baby with like Namor, Johnny and Ben with Franklin or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what they'll do. Good night, Franklin. Well, it's time to go. I guess maybe they'll have like Alicia maybe look after him. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they would do mm. with him. Crystal? Or maybe, maybe, maybe in, in this era, yeah, I was about to say, maybe yeah. Crystal. Yeah, they could they could still probably be the Fantastic Four if they like make Crystal, you know, and Namor stays. But I don't know. I guess I I doubt they've ever revisited this version of the Fantastic Four or what you know this universe. So like, but you know, the, I think that ties in again what Derek was saying that like because it's a what if there can you can like make the permanence like feel permanent. So I do like like the scene when like when sue dies and it's reported on the news the scene of the avengers like where cap's just got his head down and he says oh my god yeah and, like and the wasp is crying like that yeah, like yeah. they do a really good job like of you know showing the ripples of the you know it's like it's like a heartfelt oh my god it's not like a you know like oh my god like, <laughs> right right no he's he's doing the you know my God, and it's, you know, type thing, yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with the way she died, too. I mean, it's not like she died fighting a nihilist. She yeah. died in childbirth. So that has to uh, that has to factor into their grief. Yeah, even, like, I think even Johnny says, like, it doesn't make sense to him that he, like, he said, mm-hmm. what killed her? Like, a baby that she loved and she wanted. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, and, like I said, I think, like, Peter Gillis's script, like, the dialogue is very powerful. Like, he, you know, when, like, I'd like when Ben is reflecting on Sue and, like, he's always saying, like, like, he it's kind of like an underlying thing that like maybe Ben was a little like in love with Sue too. Like, and I think, you know, yeah. That, yeah. 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 That right. was always heavily implied in various, you know, incarnations yeah. and runs. And again, that happened in all the eventually in ultimate ultimate Ben and Sue get together after Reed goes mad. So like, okay, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. Original ideas. I, one thing this what if did, and maybe Derek can correct me if I'm wrong, but like I feel like this what if fits with the whole like timeline of like when Sue fell in love with Reed because I think in the John Byrne run like Sue meets Reed when he's in college and she's like oh I love him and that's kind of when it starts like the spark begins or something yeah and yeah. that always felt yeah I don't know I, I I mean today you would all everyone would be like oh my god that's super creepy but. I feel like this kind of fussed with. Well, them. yeah, and 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 I I feel like I, I I'm I'm some sometimes I feel like I'm looking at this with with a modern lens too, and not just your atypical modern lens of a a person saying like, oh, isn't it strange that you know Sue's so young and and Reed's so old, or isn't it strange that there's this teacher student relationship that becomes a romantic relationship like like you know and, and you know what like all, you know it's not like i've never seen that happen in real life today right like it's not like you know even though people say oh my god like a professor asking their student out isn't that outrageous isn't it unfair you know like all this other bullshit but like i've seen it it, it happens it's not like it doesn't yeah, happen it, right it like you, in my high school. You, you may sit there and people you know, you may sit there and be in judgment of it, or or think it's disgustipating, mm-hmm. or think it's the greatest thing ever. But but that you know, all, all I'm saying is just pure facts. Like you know, you, you're gonna sit there, 
and say Reed Richards and Sue going out is icky, but you know what? It happens every fucking day. Like, it happens all the time. And on top of that, like, I think my modern lens to it is I, I, I sit there and think about these relationships and, and I feel like there's a negative term slang now that's used to describe a dude who's like totally all about, about the, the, like, like, the, like it could be, it could be one guy, like, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, stupidly, hopelessly obsessed with a woman. But to me, I felt like reading this, there was like a gaggle of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas like, it's, it's Ben, it's Reed, it's fucking Doom, it's whoever in this, in this weird little quote unquote perverse family they have. And I was like, what the hell? I can't even think of what it's called. Oh, that, that's what it is. You're simping. That, that's the term. Like, like if you, if you, if you simp, right? Like that's the, basically, uh, um, like the, the simple, nice way, a man that puts himself in a subservient, submissive position under women in hopes of winning them over without the female bringing anything to the table. A man that puts too much value on a female for no reason. A man that prides himself with chivalry in hope of getting sexual gratification from women. Uh, uh, a square with no game other than rolling out the red carpet for every female. You know, like, like that's... So, basically, if you say, dude is simping for, you know, Sue Storm. You know, like, like Namor. Doom. Ben. Read. They're all like, like I, I know it's horrible, but to, for me, I'm like sitting here thinking of this, this, this modern terminology, and I'm like, they're all simping for Sue Storm, and when Sue Storm dies, like it just blows up their entire fucking universe. Like I said, this is one of my favorite issues. I wanted to talk about, like, bring it to the table with you guys for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, that's all I really have to say. Like, what uh, I do want to ask, though, Derek, what else has Peter Gillis written? I, I Like, I, I don't think I've heard of him other than this issue. Yeah, he wrote a decent amount of stuff for, like, Marvel and, like, first comics, uh, a couple things for DC. Well, he did write a he did write a good deal of what ifs. That's probably what I've only I've only ever seen him like on what ifs. Defenders, Doctor Strange, there's some Iron Man, John Carter, Book and Dagger, What If. Oh, did he write the Marvel John Carter book? Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. Okay, okay. I mean at least at least some of it, yeah. So I, I I remember when that movie came out I was kinda like, Oh, I should start reading that and I, I, I read like I think the first issue and then I you know, like everything else, I you know, twenty million shiny objects, that, you know, distract me. But yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. Okay, well, I like I said, if what if is his legacy with me, then I guess it's a a good one. So like, I'm, I'm gonna have to maybe next time we do a what if, I'll have to find another one of his issues to see if any of them are my favorites. Hey everybody, Clinton Robinson here. I recently attempted to sneak into the Longbox Crusade headquarters basement to watch some of the Albrecht Brothers action movies while the crew was out at the Saturday matinee theater. Too bad I had a little mishap and got stuck down here with no movies to boot. However, there are pieces of Pat's old podcasting equipment and excellent Wi-Fi service, so I decided to pass the time watching online fan films and talking about them.
What, you don't know what a fan film is? Well, there are these non-theatrical movies that people post online of already established characters and settings. Ooh. Hey, hey, hey now. Just wait and see. Save all judgment for what happens when you listen to Fan Film Fridays, a new podcast found on the Longbox Crusade podcast feed. But, but yeah, like, I guess, Derek, you're next. Okay. So... Well, I, I, I'm old and, and forgetful, so I originally brought an issue we already talked about for this show, and then I had to, like, totally switch the last minute, because I was like, wait, we already talked about uh, what if issue number 36 from volume two. So, I, I you know, there, there's not too many more. There's there, there were only two other what ifs that strictly count for me as, as spinner rack issues, and so I went with what if volume two issue number four and this was on sale june 20th 1989 although the cover date is october 1989 the cover price is a whopping dollar 25 32 pages the title is what if the alien costume had possessed spider-man and it actually sort of matches the, the cover dress as well. The writer was Danny Fingeroth. The penciler was Mark Bagley. The inker, Keith Williams. Letterer, Ken Lopez. Colorist, Tom Vincent. Editor was Craig Anderson. And the cover artist is Al Milgram. Diverging from the standard 616 reality where Spider-Man receives the alien costume in Secret Wars and the costume ultimately bonds with Eddie Brock to form Venom in this universe, Spider-Man goes to see Kurt Connors when Reed Richards is not at Four Freedoms Plaza. Kurt Connors' findings are not as conclusive as Reed's were, and when Spider-Man finally does get to see Richards, the Sonic Blaster cannot remove the alien costume as it is already bonded to Peter Parker. When Reed Richards cannot free Parker with science, they turn to Doctor Strange to see if he can do so with magic. When Strange's magic spells also fail, the alien uses that as an opportunity to break free of his cage and uses Spider-Sense to avoid getting recaptured. Peter briefly breaks free of the alien's control and calls his girlfriend Felicia Hardy, also known as the Black Cat, when the alien screams to forget Parker forever. The Black Cat is pissed that Reed Richards has yet to come up with a solution, so she robs an auction house and gives her spoils to the homeless. Meanwhile, during the battle from Incredible Hulk 300, where Doctor Strange was about to send the mindless Hulk into another dimension known as the Crossroads, the alien costume strikes and takes over the Hulk like a pair and discards a deathly ill and elderly Peter Parker. Black Cat thinks the only solution is to kill Banner, and an old Peter makes a last visit to see his Aunt May before dying in Avengers Mansion of old age. At the funeral, Wilson Fisk, also known as the Kingpin, offers the Black Cat a ride home. Before he died, Parker's research helped Reed Richards come up with a tracker and a weapon that can kill the alien costume once and for all, the Omni Blaster. 
Reed and the Avengers track the alien costume to Mount Rushmore. The alien costume battles Thor using the Hulk's form, and while Thor defeats the Hulk after he is reverted to Bruce Banner, the costume slithers off Banner and latches onto Thor's face like that horrific thing in the raft segment of Creepshow 2. Thor tries to bring down the lightning to remove the creature, but everything Thor and Reed try to remove it only succeed in weakening Thor himself. The creature now using Thor's body heads into a cave and quickly defeats the Human Torch and the Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel who follow after him. Instead of using the Omni Blaster for fear of killing the Thunder God, the heroes have one last trump card to play. They call in Black Bolt of the Inhumans, whose mere whisper can level mountains. This does free Thor while destroying Mount Rushmore in the process. As Reed, Strange, and the others debate whether to imprison the alien using magic or science, the alien is zapped dead. The Black Cat stands revealed with another Omni-Blaster, with tears in her eyes, saying the alien killed the man she loved. The price the cat paid was heavy indeed. To bring the alien to justice, she had the second Omni-Blaster made by the Kingpin of Crime. In exchange, she is to be in his employ for all time. The end. Super happy, positive, uplifting story where everyone dies, including Spider-Man. Yay! But yeah, this was this was something I read pretty early on in my comic collecting career. I think I was pretty well versed with the Spider-Man aspects of the story, but I think being more well versed with official Marvel history and just the fact that it's a lot easier to look all this stuff up and compare it. I also just want to give this props just for how much it syncs with basically almost every other title character that's in it. You know, like, this is this is extremely well-connected to basically, like, the 1984 July era of Marvel comic books, because, you know, I guess... As, as Mike said with the previous one, the Divergent Point was Fantastic Four Annual 6. For this, the Divergent Point is like Amazing Spider-Man 257, 258, which came out that summer. Then if you look at the team lineup of the Avengers around issue 258, this is pretty valid. If you look at Doctor Strange 67, Fantastic Four 271, Thor 349, you know, there's a reference to the the, the Surtur Saga, which ran through Thor 340 to 353. So around this time frame, Thor 349. So it would be right in the middle of that. Like, so I think all this stuff synchronizes. And then, of course, like Incredible Hulk 300 was totally in the same, you know, that that's what was going on at the time in the Hulk. So this is all very well-timed. I, I mean, one of the things, I, I don't know if you'd call it early installment weirdness or not, but it, it's interesting because this is this is in an era where Venom was popular and up and coming, but this is, this is before Eric Larson did Venom and only when Todd McFarlane was the only person to have drawn Venom. So I think, you know, the Hulk and Thor, you know, looking the way they do with that, kind of Venom smile. It's a very McFarlane-esque smile and doesn't look like a, you know, slobbering tongue with the fangs and all that kind of nonsense. The only the only thing I say, having more of an understanding of the the Marvel Universe, I, I understand that they were probably members of the Avengers at this point, but man, you know, the only thing that, that I noticed was 
man, Vision and Scarlet Witch were super useless in this. Like, and not because they're useless characters or have useless powers. It's just, I guess they couldn't think of what to do with them. Like, you'd think there'd be a scene where, I mean, if they're there, you know, maybe they try to make the suit intangible so Thor can get out of it or, you know, like so something, you know, or maybe the Scarlet Witch can be like no more fucking alien costumes or, you know, like something. But they, they don't even have them try it, which I think is a missed opportunity. I, I guess I wouldn't be mad if this is you know, a, a sad, tragic story and, and they don't get to solve it. But, you know, potentially it'd be nice to see them try to do something with those characters. But yeah, that's, I mean, I, I do really like this. It, it kind of brings a lot of nostalgic memories. You know, the seeing the black cat, I mean, I guess that's another thing to speak of. You know, it does tie into those those alien costume issues of, of Peter Parker as well. You know, the fact that he was going out with the black cat at the time and uh, ultimately, in that story, the Kingpin does sort of break them apart, you know, in a different way. But, I mean, it, it seems like that's that's kind of an inevitability, you know, in that in, in, in this universe or our, you know, main 616 universe. But, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I have on it. Like, did you guys... I mean, I, I know we're, we're all kind of, at least, you know early on, like, Spider-Man fans. But, I mean, I, I know you guys came to Spider-Man a little later than I did, so I'm not sure if this is something that you might have read as a back issue instead or, or found out later on or, or how you came to it. I never read this, and I can tell you why I never read it. So the guy I mentioned, you know, previously, who had Mike's What If, I went to his house to spend the night. I was flipping through his comics. He had this issue. And I was like, oh, man, like, I want to read this. He refused to let me read this issue. I don't know why. Sometimes he could be a jerk. Like, sometimes you would go to his house, and he would be like, you know, let's play Nintendo games, and we may play Nintendo. Sometimes you go to his house, and I would want to, you know, play Nintendo or read one of his comics, and he would be like, no, you can't. And that was it. There was no arguing or reasoning with him like he's just he just made up his mind he just got it in his head like no i can't read his comics today if i had asked the next day or maybe the day before probably would have got a different answer but sometimes he was a jerk so this was the first time i read this issue i liked it you know like you know what this got me to thinking about when i started reading spider-man peter and mary jane were married but i think i read more like back issues where peter was dating black cat so i i don't know i think i have more nostalgia for like this kind of stuff like even though this isn't a real you know peter parker spectacular spider-man issue where he's dating black cat like this kind of gave me some nostalgia for that era if that makes sense the whole like aspect of that of their relationship in this issue like yeah. you know as I say, had my attention. I, I like the links that Felicia goes to to try and save Peter and eventually what she does at the end. You know, she basically sells her soul to avenge him. But I also like it like she read read the riot act. Like, you know, she told Reed off and I was like, Yeah, you go girl, you tell him. When the symbiote lets go of Peter and he's like he's just an old man, like I was genuinely surprised by that. I, I was not expecting that. And I was like, oh, man, like, how is this going to affect Peter and Felicia's relationship? And then he just kind of 
keels over and dies while he's trying to like you know find a solution to get the thing off the hulk i was like oh man they went with the what if thing where like spider-man dies so i was like oh, well at least he would at least he kind of like went peacefully like he wasn't horribly murdered or or anything he just kind of like you know had a heart attack or died from old age you know it you know at least it wasn't a, a violent death i mean he still died in a what if and it's when mentioned the whole like mcfarlane like lips or mouth on hulk and thor because that's totally what i had in my mind and it's weird seeing the symbiote on hulk and thor at least back then i mean now we've got all these like wackadoo events where like everyone has a symbiote well yeah again again speaking of of ideas that are you know probably not original but everybody thinks is super cool and newfangled you know and it's like well sort of but not really yeah like i i know like before all this you know virus stuff hit like i saw a funko pop where the hulk was you know he had this symbiote so it was like there was some green hulk skin exposed but most of it was like you know uh, venom and he had like the long tongue and everything and then i read this issue and i was like huh okay that's interesting i i remember the the biggest criticism of this issue i think when it came out from what i remember and what i constantly saw people deride or claim was you know it, it, it's you know some people you know take issue with with the the what if as it's presented and it's like what if the alien costume had possessed spider-man but like to, to some people they they thought this should have been like what if the alien costume was a parasite and not a mm. symbiote you know like because they, they were kind of like well there is no symbiosis here it's it's sucking its hosts dry and and basically using them and then discarding them like a tissue and and i think the the argument there was you know well that that's not what would have happened had the symbiote joined with spider-man you know what i mean like like it, it's an interpretation but it, the interpretation is that the costume is more of a parasite than a than than any kind of symbiotic relationship which i think is a fair criticism but to me i'm again my take on it early on was you know th- th- this was one of the maybe the second what ifs i've ever read like period so i mean i i just kind of took the story at face value like i I, I just kind of figured, oh, it, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly, you know what I mean? Like, like it's not, it's not like it just had to be this one divergent moment that spins it all off. There could be a couple things that are divergent to to establish the story as needed, you know. And and so I I, I do recall that being kind of a a criticism of this story. And then I guess the the other thing I just wanted to respond to what you were saying, Justin, about liking or having nostalgia for certain eras that you didn't necessarily not that you didn't grow up with it but just you know that that you could have nostalgia for things you read in the back mm-hmm. issue bins i mean it's not like i picked up every single issue of roger stern spider-man and the hobgoblin saga off the stands but you know hunting those back issues and following that story i mean i i, I will frequently say to people that say they're fans of spider-man whether it's the modern comics or or you know, uh, you know, Ditko or Lee or or whatever, right? I, 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 for me, like I think when when I think of Spider Man and I think of the era I'm most nostalgic about, it's that that Ramita Junior, you know, Roger Stern era. You know, it's like he was in college, he was single, he was always waiting in lines to pay tuition, and 
all this other, you know, kind of nonsense. He was trying to still take photos and he was dating Black Cat and Black Cat had hospital bills and, you know, he was worried about Aunt May and in the background, you know, there was, you know, things maybe with MJ or whoever, right? And so that's, that's an era I'm fairly nostalgic over and it doesn't necessarily mean that I, you know, I, 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 you'd be hard pressed to, to strictly say, oh, I grew up reading it. It's like, well, I grew up reading it, but I also kind of, by then I had discovered back issue stores and I could hunt a lot of those early issues down, even though I wasn't collecting them off the newsstand. So I, I totally understand what you mean when you say, you know, oh, well, I, you know, you might've started out reading some, you know, Eric Larson comics or some Clone Saga comics, but, but you might be more nostalgic about you know, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man issues with Black Cat. Yeah, this might have been the first what if I ever read because it was also like given, like not given to me by my cousin, but he had it like in a like long box. And like, I, you know, we I as usual, I would take a handful of comics out and like look through them and see what I wanted to read. And like, I, I think. I saw Spider-Man and I was like, oh, cool, Spider-Man. Like, I'll read this. And then I was kind of, I think I asked my cousin, like, what's what if? And he, he, you know, he explained to me, oh, you know, they would do a divergent, you know, storyline for one issue. And, you know, I thought the concept was really cool. Like this, this probably introduced me to, you know, what ifs. So I have a lot of nostalgic fondness for this issue. It took me a long time to realize that Mark Bagley had drawn this issue. Like, because it, it, it doesn't, like, you know, it, if you, like, look closely, you can see it. But, like, I think, like, I read this as a kid. And then when I went back to it, like, as, you know, a young adult or whatever, I was kind of like, oh, wow, Mark Bagley drew this? Like, I had no idea. Like, because, you know, we, I, I had read more of, like, the more modern Mark Bagley, like, stuff. And it kind of looks a little different you know, better coloring, like someone else was doing inking or whatever. And and probably like I, I was more familiar with the way Bagley was drawing Venom when he was like, you know, you know, drawing the comic where, you know, obviously like Venom's the Todd McFarlane Venom in this. But, you know, when by the time Bagley was drawing Venom, you know, he had the slobbery jaw and the giant teeth and whatever. So, you know, it, it probably didn't look too familiar to me, but. Yeah, but I, I've always liked this issue. I think, you know, it's the typical, you know, Spider-Man gets like kind of owned, you know, what if. But at least, you know, as far as dignified deaths go, like Justin go, said, he doesn't like get like killed in one shot in the like background of a big fight scene or whatever. So at least, you know, most of the issue is deals with him like or at least like you know, the, the, the crux of the story deals with him. So even after he dies, his death has like repercussions and everyone, you know, has to deal with that. But I think it's funny that I guess Felicia didn't bother to tell anyone that Peter Parker had died. Like, you know, they bury Spider-Man on like Tony Stark's estate or something. And then like, it seems like Mary Jane and Aunt May are left in the lurch. Like they never know, like Peter just disappears and they never know what happens to him. So that's kind of depressing, but yeah, like, I you know, I like this story. I, I think it introduced, not only did it introduce me to what if, but like it probably introduced me to a lot of characters like Black Bolt, 
like Captain Marvel, like the Monica Rambeau one. Like I probably never had read any of those characters before this issue. Yeah, I liked I liked how like even you know I know I know you know it's like that's the joke, right? Like Spider Man always dies horrifically in a in a what if or whatever. And in this, you're like, okay, well at least he he passed of old age or or whatever. But like even in that, like the the I, I like the whole. I mean, if if Reed's getting read the riot act because you know he can't cure Ben Grimm and he can't cure you know Spider Man from his his bonding with this parasite version of the alien costume, right? Like, I find it interesting that they they allowed you know because it's like Spider Man has the fan aura even in his death, right? Like he he had enough scientific know-how and knowledge and spent enough time with the costume like he came up with the omni blaster pretty much you know what i mean like not exactly but like he his research basically helped reed create the tracker and create the omni blaster which ultimately does in the the costume right so i was like oh okay well that's to me i'm kind of like that that goes back to giving peter parker you know his his scientific intelligence, you know, the guy who built web shooters and doesn't, you know, spooge webs out of his butt or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's that character. That's the one I kind of am familiar with and grew up with. So I, it, it's something that's recognizable to me as, as Spider-Man. Something I appreciate about this issue is it kind of, as you said, it gives you, like, precise moments in... 616 where it diverges from and not only that like it pays attention to what was going on at the time in other books not a lot of what ifs are that thoughtful like sometimes it's just like sometimes it's just like okay kingpin does a thing and we're just going to go from there and we're not going to like take into account what was going on in hulk or kazar or whatever at the time well yeah i think i think a great example of that is i mean for all intents and purposes marvel zombies is a what if right and, mm-hmm. and, and you have that weird thing where, you know, oh, well, it's like a, a married Spider-Man and MJ become zombies and get munched on and all this other stuff. But yet you've got like, you know, I don't know, Hank Pym and, 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 and Janet, you know, kind of being their early Kirby Avengers selves. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like you, you mm-hmm. wonder, like, you're like, when, when exactly, I mean, if it's, if it's set in early sixties Marvel, then Spider-Man and MJ shouldn't be a thing. Right. Like, so it's like, but they, they seem to just pick and choose and mix mm-hmm. and match however they want for, for these zombie dramatic moments. You know, it's like, they want to have the all new, all different X-Men and not the original X-Men or, you know, like whatever they want. Right. And, and with this, it's like, they, they, they don't, they don't play that game. It's like, it's like, what was Thor doing? He was fighting Surtur. He just came back from a big bad fight with Surtur. Okay, good. You know, like, it's not like, it's not like just because they wanted to draw, you know, I don't know, his uh, Midgard serpent armor or whatever you want to call it, right? Like, they, they did that. It's not like Captain America was running around dressed up as the captain just because they felt like it. You know what I mean? Like, that, that is not, sync, you know... Captain America was not dressed up as the captain when Spider-Man had the alien costume, right? So you, you don't do that, right? But, you know, just, just just because, you know, it's like if it's me and I go, oh, those costumes are really neat. I want them in this issue. You know, it's like if it was me and I put in a Silver Centurion costume for no reason with, with Iron Man, you know, it's like it doesn't doesn't exactly line up, you know. But but what you're saying, you know, is, is true. It's like they, they paid 
extremely close attention, you know, and, and were very delicate with with all the players involved as far as, I, I think, continuity goes. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. All right, well, I guess if if that's it for What If issue number four, I'm going to turn it over to Justin and let him tell us what issue he brought for us to discuss, and we'll have a little synopsis and then talk about it. I brought What If, volume two, number 86. What if Scarlet Spider had killed Spider-Man? And this was published in June of 1996. The writer was Terry Cavanaugh, and the penciler was Douglas Braithwaite. I was busy and forgot to write my own synopsis, and the synopsis on the Marvel Wiki is way too long, so I'm just going to make this up as I go along. Kind of like Derek's, what if this one also gives you like a pinpoint moment of divergence? This one, I believe, splits from like Web of Spider-Man 129 and Spectacular Spider-Man 228. At, at this moment, like Peter believes he is the clone, and he's suffering from a hypnotic suggestion or command from the Jackal where he's been told to kill everyone he loves. So as this story opens, Peter is attempting to hunt down and kill Mary Jane. Scarlet Spider is trying to fend him off. They end up fighting in this giant, I believe it's a power plant. And Peter is just rabid and he's like, he's at his wits end. He's like screaming at Ben. He's like, whatever you do, don't let me kill Mary Jane. If you have to do what you must to stop me. And they keep fighting, and eventually, like, Ben feels he has no choice. He brings down these, like, generators on top of Peter, and he kills Peter. The power plant explodes. Scarlet Spider goes flying out the way, and his costume is mostly charred. These paramedics find him, and then Ben Riley wakes up in the hospital, and he's surrounded by, you know, various members of the Spider-Man family and friends and they all think he's Peter Parker. Mary Jane arrives, she believes he's Peter Parker 
and Ben just decides to go with it. He kind of assumes Peter Parker's life, and we see him, you know, he's there for Mary Jane, and he's also there for May, Peter and Mary Jane's baby who was born, and Ben is having these nightmares, and he keeps waking up, and then one night, he goes to May's room, and she's gone. The Green Goblin has seemingly returned, so... Ben puts on his spider suit, he goes chasing after the Green Goblin. Green Goblin's going on about blah blah blah, he needs her blood or something to cure himself, and they have some dialogue about that. And then, much like Gwen, the Green Goblin tosses Baby May, but Ben is able to save her with his impact webbing. And then they have this big battle, and they fall into the river, and eventually, the only one to rise is Ben Riley. And then it's at that moment when Mary Jane settles up to him. She's like, oh, I think I knew you were Ben the whole time. Me and May, we're going to get out of here. And you can be your own man. You don't have to be Peter anymore. And that's when this issue ends. So I bought this comic from Rite Aid when it was released. And I think I mentioned this on a previous, you know, Comics Mobile episode. The local Rite Aid in my town had comics for two or three years at least. And... One of the comics I would pick up there was What If. I haven't read this issue in quite a while. I remember I really liked it when it first came out. You know, the first thing that drew it drew me to this issue was the cover and the whole spider clone thing. And, you know, we've talked about the clone saga. And, you know, there are parts of it I like. There are parts of it I think are completely garbage. So I have some nostalgia for the clone saga. And it was interesting coming back to this because some stuff I just kind of like went with as a teenager. I think I was probably 13 when I read this. Like some stuff I just went with and was like, yeah, that makes sense. But reading it now as a 30-something-year-old, I'm just like, um, okay, so Ben just kind of decides to become Peter, and he's sharing a bed with Mary Jane. So were they like, you know, fully – a married couple i'm like that's a little questionable <laughs> so i was kind of like wondering about that the other thing that made me wonder about this issue was i couldn't remember how it ended and so when i was reading it i was like i was wondering who the green goblin was because i was like okay well maybe this green goblin was peter and he didn't die and then there's some dialogue about like is this norman osborne is it harry is it norman's clone is it harry's clone they just kind of they don't really tell you, but this Green Goblin like wanted May and to get her blood because he thinks he needs it to cure his clone degradation or something. So I don't, I, I don't know. It just seems kind of murky. Had either of you guys read this issue before? I had actually yes bought this off a spinner rack. Like I, hmm. I think I bought this in a supermarket. So I I still qualify, Derek, for this episode. <laughs> like hey, you 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 always qualify. I you you you're fine. Justin, you got my, Justin covered my butt. Like, you got my stamp of approval for both issues. But yeah, no, I I did buy this issue. Like I and like you, like Justin, you know, I was in the the Spider-Man shit at the time. Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. Like, so, like, and I was in the Clone Saga shit. Of course, like, seeing, oh, a new what if, and it's a new Spider-Man what if. Like, that always got me excited. And, like, I I don't recall how I originally felt about this issue. Like, rereading it now, like, I, I don't, my thoughts on it are probably a little negative. Like, 
Terry Cavanaugh, I mean, let's let's be honest, he was a pretty shitty Spider-Man writer. Like, <laughs> he was he was fucking he was atrocious a, and awful. Like yeah. he's terrible. He was a pretty shitty Spider-Man writer. He was a pretty shitty Iron Man writer. Like, he wrote all the Crossing era <laughs> Teen Tony Iron Man stuff. Like, That's true. I can't yeah. deny that part. <laughs> uh huh. So like, I I don't have a high opinion of Terry Cavanaugh, even though he created Kane, who was one of my favorite like obscure like Spider-Man characters. But I I remember having the same confusion that you speak of about the Green Goblin's identity, like. Like at the time, like I think Revelations had was nearby or was gonna happen very soon. And I like, don't remember. I remember buying that from the Walden books, but I don't. I can't remember like when when it came out. Well, like it, within a year, I'd say it was. Okay. Like, yeah, Peter Parker, Spider Man, like seventy five, and like after reading that, I kind of like almost thought like did this what if spoil that like it was the green goblin like was that supposed to be norman like uh, like i was almost like man did anyone who read this what if already know that the green goblin was coming back but like rereading it now i think it's 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 definitely nebulous but i think you're supposed to think it's another clone of peter that's like going like maybe like spider side or whatever that went crazy and okay like, so not yeah. not the one that was killed in the beginning but just another peter clone yeah like okay a, I, I could see that i'm yeah, I'm, like, I'm looking just because i was curious like spider-man 69 came out so 75 would have been revelation so that's about what like five months ahead yeah. of the the quote unquote so reveal? Two months ahead. That Legacy yeah. of Evil was released yeah. that same week as well. So there's that going on where mm. Eric is is doing his book about about Norman Osborn and everything. <laughs> I feel bad for Kurt Busick for that issue because like he he had written it with the definite like thought that Norman was still dead. So like yeah, but but yeah, like I. It's super, it's typical Terry Cavanaugh, like, I'm never going to answer these questions bullshit. Like, he was, like, <laughs> infamous for that stuff in uh... Spider-Man. Like, he was the, like, like if you read uh, Life of Riley, you know, like, the blog, like, you know, sort of memoir of the Clone Saga that they did years and years ago, it's like, Terry Cavanaugh is the one who proposed... And I, I, I'm pretty sure he used all his unused ideas in this what-if... He proposed that Peter and Ben would both vanish in an explosion and like a Peter Parker would like be recovered from the explosion, but you wouldn't know if it was Peter or Ben. And then they would never answer. They would never answer it. Like it would just be like, and that would be the end of the clone saga. Like you would never know who it was. Like, I and, wouldn't like, like that. I, <laughs> here's a mystery are we gonna solve it no like you have to come up with your own answer like <laughs> otherwise like this issue like i mean the art's okay like it's not anything special or anything i don't feel like like i don't know derek or you justin have like what is uh what's his name brain wraith uh... he um he did some uh bruce jones like issues of the hulk he did some Derek, I think he did like Paradise X and Universe X. Yeah, and like U Universe X. I, I, it's a thing I can think of that probably might be the most famous or infamous. Like, I, I think he did Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, the, that that I can picture. Yeah, but like, I don't like. I've never like you know. I ha I've never hated his art. I've never really liked it. Like, so I don't know if you guys had something like special. Like, like in mind with his art I, I but. thought it's interesting yeah 
I agree with you, Justin, that like it seems like a little dicey, like even with the reasoning that Ben Riley has that he just would just step into Peter Parker's life like that and, mm-hmm. you know, take it over and look and then the. <laughs> It, it's not like he could just do that. Like he and Peter don't have the same knowledge like anymore. Like, you know, like, and even you would think Mary, maybe Mary Jane was just willingly being like in denial, but you know, you'd think she would instantly know that this man was not her husband, but well, I, I, I took the end as like, you know, she, she says, I knew all along. I think I must have, like, I, I think, I think she was just sort of, you know, maybe maybe it started out as her being relieved and thinking it was Peter, but when she noticed, she just didn't want to notice, you know, type thing, I think, is the way they were they were playing that. Yeah. I mean, you know, this... Okay, I, I, I don't... I, I have, like, zero fondness for, for the Clone Saga era. Like, I don't, I don't care about the Clone Saga era. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have any nostalgia for it. I mean, the, the most you'll get out of me is... I think the Lost Years miniseries is pretty bitchin', but, like, otherwise, like, I, I have, like, zero fucks to give about the Clone Saga. So, like, when I saw this, I was just kind of like, okay, well, I get it. You guys have a sense of nostalgia for it. Like, this is a what-if that deviates, you know, partially from that era. It Also, it was a book I had never, you know, read either. So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll take a look at it. I think the art's fine. Like, I like the art. Uh, the the story, you know, it's it's got that same sense of convolutedness that that most of Kavanaugh's stories have. the The two positives I can take away from this is, as horrible as most of Terry Kavanaugh's stuff is, at least the New Warriors weren't a bunch of Mark Millar Civil War goobers. Like, at least Justice was like, hey, Firestar, you might want to not blow up this power plant and set everybody on fucking explosive fire or whatever. You know, like, he has that moment where he's like, hey, it's not a good idea to to flame on in here because you're going to, like, kill people. And I just thought, wow, like, see? Like, here's an example of the New Warriors actually being, you know, trained and competent, unlike how they wanted to paint them in Civil War. So there was that giving me some kind of, you know, vindication or whatever, going, see, they, they, they were trained. They had a comic for, like, you know, seven years and knew what the fuck they were doing. And then I think that Green Goblin thing, like, whether it spoiled the ending of Revelations or not, like, I found that really interesting and, and almost like, if there's anything out of this that would have been extremely preferable to me if if it was a clone of Norman Osborn that had been behind the clone saga the whole time. I might actually get behind that. Like, like that's way better than I had plane tickets to Europe in my back pocket the whole time and in, in, in the death of Gwen Stacy. Like, like I, I almost was like, when I read that, I said, that's not, that's, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of hokum and all that stuff, but I was kind of like, that's that's not too bad an idea. Like, I could almost accept that. So I, I thought that part of it was interesting. I I think it is weird, and I it felt almost like a forced, tragic ending, like, where I was like, I get that, like, now it's like, okay, now it's all out in the open, and so they have to acknowledge, like, he's Ben and not Peter, but I, I just thought it was funny where she's like, okay, even though we've been together, like, the last six months, like, goodbye, you know? And then it's like, I'm sad, you know? And I'm, I'm just kind of like, 
I mean, if if <laughs> if you were gonna make it like that, then then I don't think she should have hugged them. You know what I mean? Like like I think it should have been the the true like whatever you want to call it, Parker Luck. Like she should have been like, oh, I didn't know this whole time, and you lied to me, and I hate your guts, and I'm taking our daughter away from you, you lying liar. And then he could have been like, oh, I'm sad, and it's tragic. But like it seemed like sort of forced where it's like. I'll always love you, and, like, let's have a hug, and I'm so glad you saved our lives, but now, now we're gonna go move to Connecticut and eat my dust, you know, like, it was just like, okay, and, like, I, I don't know, like, that, that, that was a little weird. I feel like, it, it, it is a little, like, when you think about, like, you know, May being, like, why isn't daddy yeah, coming yeah. home with us? And like, you know, Ma- Ma- Mary Jane is like, because he's Terry Cavanaugh <laughs> bullshit. That's why. <laughs> because he's Terry Cavanaugh bullshit, honey. Uh, what's a Cavanaugh? Like, I know, like, he, you know, Ben is speculating it might be a clone of Norman or Harry Osborne, but, like, that Green Goblin sticks to one of the, oh, like, pylons okay. on the I bridge. See. So, I see. Like, yeah, that's why I was, like, I was figuring it was a clone of Peter Parker. Well, shit, even, yeah. if, even if the Green Goblin in Revelations turned out to be a clone of Peter Parker, I would have been, that would have been way better than Norman Osborne popping up out of the fucking grave going, look at my chest, you know, like, I was just like, all right, that would have been way better. Well, I disagree, but yeah, I, no, I, I see at least it would have been like consistent, I guess. Like if you wanted to end the clone saga, like maybe you should, you know, have a clone yeah, at yeah, the end maybe. of it or whatever. Maybe. But yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe they, I think they swung too hard by like, you know, bringing Norman back from the dead. But like, I, I think ultimately I was glad. Does it track that like, like did I, I forget when did when did he frost his tips? Like, he frosts his tips later? Like, is that... Okay. Yeah, after okay. this okay. point, okay. the divergence. So that, so that, that all tracks? It, okay. it tracks, yeah. <laughs> She's like, Peter, why are you, why are you dyeing your uh, hair blonde? Like, oh, I just, you know, wanted to for no reason. But, like, just, just like I changed my costume for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Like, you think, you think if he wanted to fool Mary Jane, he would keep the same costume. Yeah. <laughs> but now he changes it to his, like, Ben Riley design. And it's like, and she just noticed now that he started using impact webbing? It's like, the impact webbing was the nail in the coffin when I saw you use it to save our little girl. It's like, uh, I've been using this for, like, the last six months while I was banging you in our bed. <laughs> <laughs> But now you noticed. Hey, honey, did you get a haircut? It looks nice. But yeah, like, this is, I feel like this is reminiscent of one of the first What If shows we did when I picked that one about Spider-Man and his robot parents. Uh, It's like, oh, oh, yeah, this is, this is another What If based on a, like, you know crappy story basically like mm. i mean like i i know like you you and i to some extent i have some nostalgic fondness for this but ultimately i don't think it's aged very well at all yeah well like i said i mean i i, I have some nostalgia for parts of the clone saga and other parts i think are a flaming garbage pile <laughs> do you like that, would, that's probably like would you want like like i, I was just gonna say this this 
this this story does kind of spawn from the direct directly from the flaming garbage pile part of the clone. Saga, <laughs> so. Would you guys want them to? I mean, I I know what ifs have been traditionally atrocious, like since volume two, or at least as far as I can tell, they have been. But like, if 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 there was like a nice creative team and it had the potential to be like something interesting and good, like, would you want them to try and? revisit aspects of the clone saga and do things divergently just for giggles or something or 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 some kind of you know since they've got all this spider-verse stuff going on like would you want like some alternate spider-verse universe where where they did did you ever derek did you ever read that defalco and mackie miniseries like the the real clone saga it's like really where they, oh, yeah, where okay. they, it was, it was a, it, it, they did a six issue miniseries maybe like ten years ago, where they, they, uh, it's like DeFalco and Mackie and with Todd Nock are okay, and like they, they did a six issue miniseries like how they intended the Clone Saga to play out, and it like it, it was in like, it might like it was interesting like it, it, it was only supposed to be like a couple month long story like originally and it got bloated into like two years worth of stories so like you know it's very interesting it was an interesting like to see where they w- wanted to do like originally and i think it's ironic you're talking about a norman clone it's like they make it that harry is the like mastermind behind the clone saga and he has like miles warren make a norman clone hmm. and like no, you know the norman clone comes out and he's like you know dad are you proud of me now and the norman clone's like no i'm not and then harry goes crazy again and stuff like so <laughs> but but you know that we should check that out at some point because if you haven't read it it's an interesting yeah, no read. I, I haven't i'd check it out with you guys and i mean they've like in spider-verse they've done like sort of you know, there was that Ben Riley from that universe where Peter retired and just let him be Spider-Man for good, basically. And like, uh, like that was kind of interesting. And I don't, and I, I think they've touched on other aspects of it, like here and there. But cool. All right. Well, I think is that it. Or we have anything else on this? Like, do you have any final thoughts on on uh, your pick, Justin? I liked it. Okay. Cool. cool. <laughs> All right. So then we will. We will return one day with with cloning things and stuff. Uh, But until then, you've been listening to Fanhole's podcast. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We can be emailed there. If you want to check out the backlog of our episodes, all of them are over on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And we can be found on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we get. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, tumbling into the negative zone, signing off. Hey, it's Mike. Curry Kavanaugh bullshit. This is Justin, and I think I'm a clone now. Isn't it
everybody loves a clone, so why don't you, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the clones. Fuck the clones.